literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to the show. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. I'm Michael Barnes. Of the Austin American Statesman, this is Austin Found. And on previous shows, which you can always go back through the library, these are just not in any particular order, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Fun way to go through history. But the Comanches have come up. Often. Uh, n- numerous times. Yes. Uh, but not the Tonka was. Yeah. The, the Comanches have good publicists. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, they attracted good writers all through the years because they they were part of our idea of what the Old West was. They were Indians that, that had uh, control over a huge amount of, of territory. They fought off the Spanish, the Mexicans, the Anglos, everyone that came after them. But they weren't the Indians who lived here full time in central Texas. And the Comanches very glamorized for what we saw in Hollywood, probably Absolutely. primarily in the fifties, and fictionalized a lot and made into villains most of the time. Mm-hmm. Gwen's book, Empire of the Summer Moon, really brought back to the general public who the Comanches were and how much they did, and how fierce they were, but uh, just how successful they were as a, a horseback-based empire. And we've talked about it on on previous shows where there would be threats from uh, Comanches in Austin in the Shoal Creek area. They would warn for the kids not to be yeah, out, right, and yeah. and, uh, and you wouldn't go outside the the, the city grid without a a, a rifle. Exactly, uh, exactly. But the the Tonka was history has proven were pretty peaceful and lived very well among the Anglo settlers. As in comparison to the Comanches, you know, our idea of who the Tonkawa were has evolved over the years, but they were definitely allies of the Anglo settlers and the African Americans that came with them against the Comanches. Correct me if I'm wrong, even at times fought side by side with settlers against Comanches. Absolutely, and they served as guides and scouts and they were valuable allies. Not choosing a life of conflict, but Mm -hmm. if pushed in that direction. Absolutely. I mean, they, they were fierce in their own right, and they they were buffalo hunters and they were quite capable of taking care of themselves, but they naturally allied with the newcomers. Now, there was a case of Josiah P. Wilbarger. Right. This does not distinct what tribe mm-hmm. was involved in this, but t- fill us in on that. This was in the east, east of Austin. Yes, in eastern Travis County. Here's one of the things is early on, the Anglo settlers didn't distinguish a lot between uh, or among the Indian tribes. And so when we uh, come across writing about them, oftentimes they'll just say the murdering savages or something Mm -hmm. uh, uh, cliche like that. But in fact, Will Barger was a settler out of Bastrop who was part of the group that that moved into eastern Travis County. A lot of the ones we've talked about before, Tannehill, Hornsby, and so forth. 
And, Hornsby Bend, one and, of our first cemeteries. I'm an expert on these things. Now you now. are. <laughs> <laughs> and, and soon everyone will be. He uh, was part of a, a fight with the Indians. He was scalped, left for dead, bloody. And the, the story goes that a settler's wife dreamed of the exact location where he lay dying party went out to go find him and he was there wow that's yeah. like a psychic thing yeah it's kind of suspicious or maybe me. lucky <laughs> maybe lucky anyway so <laughs> they brought him back and he lived a life you know and he was fine but his brother uh, in writing about it later much later in talking about the indian wars along the colorado river was really bad about just not distinguishing among the tribes just they were just savages Interesting, because the Tonkawas might have been seen in downtown area, what we now consider Republic Square, right? Exactly. Living I mean, peacefully among that. Among that is a report that I haven't found uh, uh, archival evidence of, but it pops up every once in a while that they would camp out in, in Republic Square Park. And you also mentioned in Indelible Austin that you could have heard war cries from Native Americans around the Capitol grounds. Oh, yes. In the middle of the 19th century and into the later 19th century, mm. um, the city was established on the frontier, which is a very interesting place to put a capital city for a Republican later state because it wasn't secure. Mm. The first state capital, which we haven't talked much about, was a, a log structure that uh, had a stockade around it like a fort. Hmm. You know, uh, it's not my idea of what a, a, a capital of a republic should look like. What was the fate of the the Tonkawas? Like so many uh, tribes, they begin to diminish in, in size, um, disease, Eurasian diseases, loss of their their uh, hunting grounds. They were run out of parts of Texas. Well, correct? they they ended up as as many of the smaller tribes did attached to a fort, this one in north-central Texas, and eventually marched off on their own trail of tears to Oklahoma mm. to a place near Ponca City, Oklahoma. And now there are about 600 of them left in terms of, of uh, people registered with the tribe, and most of them are centered around the town of Tonkawa, Oklahoma. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and for a long time, people thought they'd just disappeared altogether, oh, but they wow. hadn't. And again, uh, they don't have a good publicist. Yeah, they need a, <laughs> They need the Comanche's publicist. <laughs> yes, they they still come back for ceremonies. That's what. That's where I wanted to go. What, what does the preservation look like? I mean, I there's no time like the present, summer of 2020, mm -hmm. for. Any group, any minority group or native group to speak out, get the public attention. Right. People are listening right now, right, for right, the most right. part. Not everyone. But it, it would be a great time to tell their story. It would be a great time. And occasionally they come back to sacred sites. Uh, for instance, Sugarloaf Mountain. Wait, where's that? Oh, uh, we talked about that. It was. It's up on the Little River, uh, which is above the Brazos, Lee County. Is it Lee or Milan? I think it's Lee County. Okay. They are they're very much aware of of their own stories of, of of Central Texas. But and in fact it turns out they stretched all the way from Oklahoma to uh, Mexico along the, the Balcones escarpment. Hmm. They were not just here in Central Texas. 
And then is there any sort of historical center in the Austin area, any anywhere that people can visit and learn about it? Is there anything kind of infrastructure? Well, luckily, one thing that we do have is the Bob Bullock uh, Texas State History mm-hmm. Museum, and they have a very large exhibit on on the early Texas okay. that's just been redone in the last few years and is superb. It's like, a, a, you know, a real grown-up museum. Its material on the Native Americans is prodigious and a lot more accurate than what was there before. Any artifacts uncovered in this People area? People are un- uncovering artifacts from the Tonkos every day. Huh. I mean, you can walk along Shoal Creek and you can find uh, any all kinds of things oh, uh, wow. uh, made of flint. There was a big finding out on where uh, Lake Travis is now, but now it's under Lake Travis, mm, so right. that kind of thing happens. May not be forever with our history of drought. Yes. Mm. Well, when the drought came, the last big drought, like 2011, and the lake was so far down, people were going back to the ruins mm-hmm. of things and bridges and Anderson Mill, the original Anderson Mill, mm. and people were like you know, it became a playground for people interested in history. You know, I have to thank you for something because I, you know, I, I grew up in this city and I, I, I love this city as much as you do. And do you remember back in our episode where you talked about the swales and the low yeah. water crossing just east of what's now the Longhorn Dam? Right, right. I took my mountain bike over in that area last week I've known about the, the Krieg Center with all the softball fields and all that forever. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that Guerrero Park yeah. is well, so huge and beautiful. Oh, oh it's huge. And, and that's kind of where my friend Stephen Gonzalez from the, the uh, Camino Real de los Tejas National Trail Association. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he and I explored that area in the park as a possible place for the the 1730 Spanish missions. They were only here for a year. We we had an episode about mm-hmm. that earlier. But that's there in the park. Beautiful, beautiful park. Yeah. And not very busy. I not, mean, it's you you think of iconic Austin, you think Silker Park because so many big events take place there, but if you want some nice hiking and a beautiful park to go beautiful new out, playground. Yeah, I think you know that it, it's evolving its role in the city. It's a huge piece of land, mm-hmm. but people, um, neighbors, have rightly tried to control anything that goes in there, and they want mm-hmm. it to be for the neighborhood. But it is a metropolitan park, and so it's it's got attractions that anybody in the city w- would want to visit. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I was blown away, and I wouldn't have decided to go over there and discover it <laughs> had you not mentioned that area and and you know you could hike down to secret beach secret beach which i'm kind of blowing the lid on right here <laughs> well, with people not, it, east austinites know about secret yes. beach a lot of people would like it to continue to be a secret yeah sorry <laughs> no <laughs> no it's public land that's one of those things i have like i have a secret parking spot downtown yeah. Yeah. That I won't tell anyone about. That's good. I used to have a lot of them, but they're, <laughs> they're they gone. found them. Yeah, they're <laughs> they gone. Put, a, put meters uh, on them. Well, let's finish with uh, uh, an email, if you like. I pulled sure one here. Sure thing. Uh, this email came in from Dave Floyd and says, I was just listening to your episode 16 on old school Austin restaurants. I didn't think you mentioned the tavern, but it's worth noting the building has been there since 1916, started out as a grocery store. 
according to what I've been told by various employees over the years, there was a speakeasy slash brothel upstairs. Uh, And if you've seen the signs advertising Emily the Ghost, according to Tavern Lore, she was a teenage prostitute who was murdered by a patron. I think the tavern became a legitimate bar and restaurant once Prohibition was over. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And you've probably written about the tavern. Are we going to get Actually, into- not a lot, because um, interestingly, other people have. Okay. But I should look into it more. Uh, it is definitely part of Austin lore. Okay. And he went on to mention another one that I think we will talk about at some point. The Holiday House locations are all closed now. I think the Barton Springs location merits a mention. I say this mostly because it was the only restaurant I know of in Austin's history, which was home to a live gator. Charlie, (laughs) according to my older brother, Westlake class of 81, uh, in the early 70s, kids would watch the gator feed as the the Holiday House employees tossed raw chicken into his pen. Yeah, that's what you want to watch before you go to dinner. (laughs) I don't know. But people remember that gator. I mean, that's the main thing that a lot of people remember. But it was one of those wonderful family restaurants that predated my time here. Like the Frisco or any of the uh, Nighthawk chain, it just was a beloved institution in town. It was no diving pig like they had in San Marcos. No, but we had a diving horse. Oh, we did in Austin? It, yeah, at uh, Deep Eddy. <laughs> oh before it became gosh. a park, it was this kind of a tourist camp. Oh, wow. And there was a diving horse. Wow. <laughs> And one last thing from Dave says, finally, I think the I-35 German restaurant you guys were trying to remember was called Gunther's. Gunther's. I, I, we, we had several helpful listeners who, who sent that in. Really appreciate that. That's from David Floyd. You can write to us. M. Barnes at statesman.com. Or J. Hager, J-H-A-G-E-R at statesman.com. And pick up your copies of Indelible Austin. This story was out of Volume 1. Volume 1. And they're all three available at Book People. Thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. Tell your friends. Uh, post on socials. We would appreciate it. And happy trails. Mm-hmm.